So the Institute, our Institute has spent many, many years working on GMO food issues. Some of you have questions on that. I'll be happy to answer that in a moment. But now with GMO 2.0, especially the ease of gene editing, we realize we need to pivot our focus. And instead of focusing on consumer education for better choices in the supermarket, which has all this ripple effect, we need to stop governments from allowing gene-edited GMOs to be released. And so we want to block the release of all genetically modified microbes. Now, at responsibletechnology.org slash take action, right now, we're going to have a number of things in there. So people watching this later, go there, see what the action is of the day. But right now, the USDA happened to put out recently a draft guidance for how you could get a permit to genetically engineer microorganisms. It's a disaster. The USDA looks through blinders and defines what could go wrong in such a narrow way that they'll essentially ignore the, the flood of microbes being produced by academia. And the flood of microbes that are being used in facilities as synthetic biology plants to produce things like CBD and drugs and enzymes and whatnot, they'll genetically engineer bacteria or yeast or algae to produce certain proteins, even supplements. And what if those genetically engineered microbes get out? What if the one that's producing the medicine gets out and now it becomes part of your gut bacteria producing the medicine or part of the bacteria in the soil or in the air. This will be avoided by the USDA in its narrow focus. So for those online now, we need some additional names so it's not just IRT submitting it. Please do this today. Even if you have to do it while you're listening, responsibletechnology.org slash take action, add your name please, to our comment, which is long. I wouldn't recommend reading the whole comment now while I'm talking because it's like several pages. There's a summary there, though. And it talks about some of the things we just did that are being ignored by the USDA. And the comment period ends on May 21st, 2023. We're trying to extend it. And we have some other things that we're going to be putting into that take action place, too. So we'll let you know when there's another opportunity to let your voice be heard. So I'm going to stop here for a moment. I see three hands up if anyone else has a question. Um, and I'm happy to take questions about the microbes, about GMO 2.0, but really about anything. So Bin Wu, uh, your hand is up. I'm going to unmute you. You've been up for a long time, so you may have forgotten you may have walked away, so we'll see if you're still there. Okay, Bin Wu, what is your question? Well, you may have walked away. I'm going to mute you again. Rita, I'm going to mute. I'm going to unmute you. So, you ready? There you go. Thank you. I am ready. A question for you. 
the blueberries have made uh, to the dirty dozen list again. There are so many different brands in the market. So how do you know? Do you think that all the blueberries should, you know, cannot be sprayed with the pesticides probably or should we take the assumption that they all are and just eat only organic blueberries? Thank you, Rita. I'm, I'm muting you again. This is an excellent question. Let's start with the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. This is put out by those excellent people at the um, Environmental Working Group. And what they do is they take U.S. government statistics for residues of agricultural chemicals. And they only look at fruits and vegetables. Now, the U.S. government has been manipulated, to say the least, by Monsanto. Uh, I've documented it for years. They basically, as one person who was formerly at the FDA said, that the regulatory agencies have done everything that big ag, Monsanto, has asked them to do or told them to do. And they told, Monsanto told FDA, oh, you don't have to test for the residues of Roundup. It's safe. You can drink it. It's safer than table salt. Don't drink it. It's a method for suicide in, in Asia. And so it's one of the residues that are not evaluated by the government. And they're not showing the impact of residues from Roundup or its chief poison glyphosate in the clean 15 and the dirty dozen. So it's a partial criteria. So if you go to responsibletechnology.org, to our homepage, you can go to and, and see a list of all the tests that we have been able to accumulate, that we've done, that Moms Across America have done, that your that Environmental Working Group has done, different groups. And you can see which foods have high levels of glyphosate, like oats and wheat and all the beans and legumes and all that. So the first thing you should know, Rita, is that the Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen by itself is not sufficient. In addition, EWG has basically turned a blind eye to the dangers of GMOs for a long time. And they had corn and have corn and papaya on the Clean 15, even though both can be genetically engineered. Papaya only if it's from Hawaii and corn unless it says non-GMO or organic. So it's not a perfect system. Now, as far as trying to figure out which blueberries, I'm going to recommend, Rita, that if something is on the dirty dozen, you certainly want to eat the organic version of those or the farmer's market version where you know the farmer. And I wouldn't risk it. Some of those chemicals are very nasty. In fact, I recommend eating organic across the board. There's a film that I did with Amy Hart called Secret Ingredients, where we interview individuals and families that switch to organic. Autistic kids on the spectrum are no longer on the spectrum. Infertile parents, infertile couples now have kids. There's weight problems and brain fog and skin conditions and irritability and, all, and digestive disorders and allergies. And this was in just a small group, but we have 
surveyed 3,256 people who reported getting better from 28 different conditions when they switched to non-GMO and largely organic. And we can show you, maybe we'll do that later today, a bunch of charts showing how the increased use of GMOs in Roundup in the U.S. food supply is paralleled with the increase of about 35 different diseases. So switching to organic is pretty critical for health, Rita. And I would do it with thinking like, well, add some of your medical budget in there. And since you'll be saving the health of the farmer and the environment, add some of your philanthropic do dollars in there. And as you'll see in the film Secret Ingredients, there's, uh, which you can rent at secretingredientsfilm.com, that many, many of these people are not going to the doctor and don't have the doctor's bills that they used to. Dramatic reductions, far more reduced in doctor's bills than the increase in their food bills. So that's my answer to you, Rita. Um, uh, if, why don't you put your hand down and if you have a follow-up question, we can come back to you. Rochelle Bear, are you ready? Here you go, you're, un, you're um, unmuted, Rochelle. Thank you. Um... Jeffrey, I guess. How do I address you? That's I'm not Jeffrey. Jeffrey no, I'm okay. not a, don't don't demote me to a doc. Sorry, I'm Jeffrey. <laughs> okay. Um, my question is basically on food. Like when you go into the supermarket, I I eat all organic. I buy organic, but sometimes I see like a tomato and it's white inside, and I wonder about it being gassed. And you know, I, I have to stop you right there, Rochelle. I'm I'm pretty narrow in my focus. Um, I don't, I focus on GMOs and the chemicals sprayed on GMOs, which is like Roundup and the new GMOs. So I, I'm afraid I'm not the person to ask about gassing tomatoes. But so if I buy organic, do I know that it's not GMO? I can answer that. Okay. All right, I'm going to put you on mute for a second here. All right. So organics do not allow the intentional use of GMOs. They do not allow the intentional use of glyphosate-based herbicides like Roundup. I use the word intentional. Sometimes there's a contamination. Sometimes it comes in ways that are unavoidable. The U.S. Geological Survey found that glyphosate was in 60 to 100 percent of the air samples they tested and the rain samples. So if you have glyphosate in the rain, you'll have low levels of glyphosate possibly in your crop because it gets absorbed through the roots, it moves to the food, we eat it. So if you go to responsibletechnology.org and you go to the glyphosate residue database, you will see some organic products will have low levels of glyphosate. The non-organic would typically have much higher levels. It depends on the particular product. Now, sometimes there's fraud, sometimes there's accidental mixing, but I still think organic is, is a safe way to go. Now with GMOs, if you have a field that's organic and you have a GMO field next to it, you might get some cross contamination. There might be contamination in the seeds that you buy. And so there might be some GMOs in your organic. The non-GMO project, I love them, they require testing 
if your product has any potential GMOs in it. So if it has, you know, corn or soy, cottonseed oil, canola oil, it will require testing. And it needs to be, uh, you know, maintaining it below an action threshold of about 0.9% of contamination. And you need to have that level of production in order to get that seal, that little butterfly. If you're organic, you don't need testing. It's a process-based. It's not a testing-based. So you might actually exceed the amount of, of contamination that would be allowable by the non-GMO project, which is why if you see organic and non-GMO project together, that's like the gold standard, unless you're growing yourself or you know your farmer, because then you know it's not allowed to have Roundup, it's not allowed to have GMOs, and if there's any at-risk ingredients, it's been tested. Now, if you had to choose between organic and non-GMO project verified, what would you do? I recommend choosing organic, because if it's non-GMO project verified, they don't test or concern themselves with Roundup or other toxic chemicals. So you can have oatmeal that's verified non-GMO. Oats are never genetically engineered, not yet. But oats are saturated with Roundup. Now, why would they spray a plant-killing herbicide on oats? They do it three to five days before harvest is what is recommended to dry down the crop. It kills it slowly. But it dries it down so it doesn't mold. It's easier to harvest. It forces rapid ripening. You know, like the plants dying and says, send all the energy to the kids. So all of the extra energy goes to the grain. It forces rapid growth and ripening. And it kills the weeds for next year. So it's used by grain farmers, particularly oats and and wheat, it's used by legumes, so the peas, the mung beans, the chickpeas, etc. It's also sprayed on the vineyard rows and it goes in through the roots, and so it's in wine. You spray it on the ground in orchards, so it's in orange juice. Um, it's, it's pretty pervasive. So the non-GMO project doesn't test for Roundup, but organic is not allowed to use Roundup. So organic would be my first choice. If you can't get organic, at least get non-GMO and avoid those products that have high levels of residues from the list at responsibletechnology.org. So I hope that answers the question. And we're going to go on to David T. Okay, David. Can you hear me? Yep, now I can hear you. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm on your email list. In fact, it was through you I learned about the death of Ron Cummins from the Organic Consumers Association before I learned it from them directly. That being said, I hope you also correspond with Dr. Zach Bush and also with Ocean Robbins in your campaign and in your efforts. Um, but anyway, as to my questions, you had talked about mosquitoes, I believe, in Florida being genetically modified, as I recall. I was curious to know what the status of that was. Also, I think you were the one who talked about how GMO salmon from Canada, I don't know if it was farm-raised or whatever, and whether what the status of that was in terms of interacting with other salmon. 
And then finally, I was wondering if your organization ever looked at supplements that claim to help the body rid itself of glyphosate. Yes, mosquitoes, supplements, and glyphosate um, elimination. All right. Yeah, I have. Um, let's start with the last one. So I, a lot of people ask me, what can you do besides uh, avoiding GMOs and Roundup? And for years, I would say it's above my pay grade. I'm not a scientist or a doctor, but I started speaking to doctors and scientists that were developing protocols. So I created a program called Healing from GMOs and Roundup and interviewed 18 doctors, including Zach Bush um, and Kieran Krishnan and Joe Mercola and and Dietrich Klinghardt and Lee Cowden and a bunch of others. And um, they each have their own ways to detox. And there are certain products that uh, have had have shown some reductions. There's a Purium Biomedic, which showed a dramatic reduction in glyphosate in the urine, but it was a very small human sample. So it's hard to draw general conclusions. Zach Bush is um, Ion Biome showed a 20-something percent decrease in glyphosate in the urine. Um, there's a program, there's a product at BiotiQuest that supposedly degrades it, but in a pathway that doesn't produce AMPA, which is the normal degraded version of glyphosate, which is more toxic. Um, there's um, uh, apple cider vinegar has an enzyme in there, which is supposed to break down glyphosate. Um, sauerkraut juice, it was fed to cows and it reduced the glyphosate in their urine in a European study. A lot of these are in this healing from GMOs and Roundup um, course. And uh, if you sign up for the IRT newsletter, um, we'll announce that the course is currently taken down briefly, but it'll go up very soon. Um, again, for people that would like that. Um, as far as the uh, supplements, uh, no, the, the um, mosquitoes, I want to mute you, David. Um, the Oxitec did this whole big release, second release, with a new generation of mosquitoes and never re reported the results and asked for permission to release even more in Florida and in California. So I don't have the current up-to-date status whether it's actually been released in California, but they did get approval by the feds, and now they need approval on a county-by-county -county basis in California. So it's, it's disastrous. So I was talking to um, a person who works for Oxitec, uh, Derek Nemo, who is a senior scientist there. And we were both in the Florida Keys in 2014, testifying to the Mosquito Control Board, trying to get them, I was trying to get them to not approve the mosquito. And he was trying to get them to approve the mosquito. But he and I talked during the lobby. And I, first of all, I said to him, you're, you're changing the genome permanently. And you shouldn't be doing this. It's very dangerous. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. They won't survive in the, in the uh, environment. Um, under normal circumstances, they said their survival rate, they originally said they'd all die. They were lying. 
They knew they were lying, but they lied. They lied a lot. And they will find, oh, yeah, maybe 3% will survive. Well, that's a lot if you're releasing a billion mosquitoes. But in the presence of, of an antibiotic, then um, tetracycline, then it survives because that's used as part of the process to keep some alive so that they can mate. So in the, in the presence of tetracycline, which is found in cat food, it's found in, in rivers, et cetera, et cetera, the survival rate can go up to 18%. So I was explained to him that it's impossible to, to make that guarantee that you're not going to change the gene pool, but he was sure of it. Well, they released millions upon millions, probably billions of mosquitoes in Brazil. And three years later, uh, some researchers went there independently and found, in fact, that there was a completely new type of mosquito that had never been part of the gene pool that had genes from the genetically engineered mosquitoes and genes from the natural mosquitoes. And they didn't know whether it was more dangerous or less dangerous, whether it was harder to kill or easier to kill. The reason why they were genetically engineering mosquitoes was to reduce the population of the Aedes aegypti mosquito, which carries Zika and dengue fever and chikungunya, uh, which is another disease. And they released it in five countries now. And there's absolutely no evidence that it works. In fact, where they've done tests in the, of the population, there hasn't been a reduction. And it's interesting that they want to release it in California to reduce the incidence of these diseases. In the last five or 10 years, there hasn't been a single California-born disease from these mosquitoes. There's been a few hundred from people that got, got it in another state and came back, but it, the problem doesn't exist here. And yet they're going to risk the population. How are they gonna risk the population? Or I asked Derek Nemo, I said, Derek, have you tested the saliva of the biting female mosquitoes that you're creating? Because he told us that, you know, there'd be no female mosquitoes created, but they turns out there was plenty of female mosquitoes. They're the ones that bite. And they finally acknowledged that. Another one of their lies that they had to admit was not true. And I asked him, have you ever tested the saliva? Because the saliva gets into our bloodstream. And I'll never forget his answer. Well, he, he, he said, first of all, we're, we're just now testing to see if the protein that's produced by the inserted gene is expressed in the saliva. Because they put a gene in, it produces a protein, kills off offspring, makes them sterile. And they were, they were going to see if that protein ended up inside human blood, see if it was in the saliva. I said, Derek, the process of genetic engineering creates massive collateral damage in the genome. In a human cell, when they added one gene, up to 5% of the functioning genes changed their levels of expression. Some were shut off, some were turned on, others got more or less proteins than they were, plant than they were producing before. Shouldn't you be testing the entire composition of the saliva and not just for one protein? He said, good idea. <laughs> so this, they had already released millions in four countries by the time I was speaking with him. So these people should not be in charge of the gene pool, which brings us back to GMO 2.0, where we're giving CRISPR kits to virtually anyone who can create virtually anything, and there's no requirement for testing 
for most of the, of the gene-edited GMOs so you can create your own insects, you can create your own grasses and trees and animals and fish that glow in the dark and microbes unless we stop this irresponsible deregulation. Now, you also asked about salmon. Um, there's salmon that have genes from a different salmon and an Arctic eel uh, that cause it to produce growth hormones throughout the year. Normally, it's just for six months or so. Uh, but And then they have a resting period, but these are like always growing, growing, growing. And they grow very quickly, and so they get to market earlier. And when this Oxitec did studies to prove it was safe, they were ridiculous studies using like six fish. So few that the statistical significance, even when there was a 50% increase or a 25% increase in either the allergenicity or a cancer-promoting hormone, it wasn't statistically significant. So I think the stuff may be very dangerous, but we can't verify, and yet they have approval to make it and sell it in the United States. Now, there's a similar salmon that was created by Canadian researchers, and they were genetically engineered to go faster, to grow faster. And they were put into tanks with other frankenfish or with natural fish. And when they had enough food, everything was fine. When they reduced the food, then the frankenfish freaked because they're growing so fast, they're voraciously hungry. And they became aggressive and they killed and ate and destroyed the other fish in the tank. So they had um, population crashes or total extinctions in the tanks. So if these fish get out in the ocean, they could they have a horrible influence. So I don't know if the, I think there's some genetically engineered salmon that have been released in the United States already. It's unlabeled because it goes out through restaurants and catering organizations. And there's been some also like that in Canada, but um, it hasn't been large production yet. Okay, Anatina. Hi, Jeffrey. Thank you for all the uh, important information you work on finding for us. Um, question. Uh, what is the mechanism by which glyphosate affects humans and other living creatures? That's like, it's kind of like you set me up for that, Anadina. I'm sorry. It's like you set me up for that. It was like, I have the answer. I good, have it good. all. I, I actually have it in um, a PowerPoint. Um, let's see. Um, all right. So I'm going to share my share a PowerPoint here in just a second. Oh, I can't do it that way. Now I can't see you. <laughs> All right, I'll just tell you. So glyphosate, um, it was originally patented as a descaler of minerals in industrial boilers and pipes. Because one of the things that it does is it's a chelator. It grabs onto minerals. So it just grabbed onto the extra mineral buildup and pulled it off. And then when they spread the, the glyphosate 
that had done its job on the ground. It killed all the plants. So Monsanto bought the molecule and patented it as an herbicide. Now, because it deletes minerals, it means that when we take some, it makes certain minerals unavailable. And minerals are cofactors in the biochemical pathways in our body. So they're like the foreman that has to show up to start the workers to work. Otherwise, they just sit around on strike or they just wait. So you have all these biochemical pathways waiting for the manganese or waiting for the, the cobalt or whatever. And if they're, if they're not available, then it causes massive problems with many, many things. Um, and that's one, one of the things that glyphosate does. It also damages the microvilli along the gut and suppresses digestive enzymes. It's toxic to the mitochondria. My friend Zach Bush said he can look through a microscope and see the mitochondria get destroyed when he adds glyphosate to the cell. Glyph mitochondria is related to aging, energy, cancer, and overall health. So when you're destroying the mitochondria, a lot of things are, are, get worse. It promotes birth defects. It's what's called a teratogen. Um, and also causes premature, tends to create premature um, births, lower birth weights, and uh, higher uh, birth defects. It's an endocrine disruptor, and particularly it damages the aromatase, which is what creates the balance between estrogen and testosterone. It disrupts the, de the purification or detoxification in our bodies in a couple of ways. One, there's, there's the detoxification enzymes in the, in the liver. It's called the cytochrome P450 enzymes, and they get damaged, and so there's less detoxification that way. And there's also something called NRF2, um, which is reduced by about 30% in studies from friends of mine in Mara Labs. And that shows a, um, that our cells, both in the liver and elsewhere, can't detox. And by the way, Mara Labs has broccolite, which also uh, can help guard against the reduction of the NRF2. And they also have found that intercellular communication, which is gap junctions, is reduced by glyphosate by about 50%, and their broccolite also protects against that. Glyphosate also causes oxidative stress and genotoxicity, which is linked to cancer. The gap junction damage is also linked to cancer. And so it's a called a class 2A carcinogen by the World Health Organization. It also infiltrate, infiltrates the brain and creates infl inflammation, which can lead to potentially Alzheimer's or other neurodegenerative disorders. It blocks the shikimate pathway of gut bacteria, which, as I said earlier, produces the L-tryptophan and the tyrosine, which in turn produce the serotonin, melatonin, and dopamine. And it also... Um, is an antibiotic, which kills off the beneficial bacteria, but not the nasty stuff, and it creates leaky gut. And the, the antibacterial and the leaky gut and the mitochondrial issues, they can, you can just line up most diseases behind those, um, because most diseases are related to one or more of those three things. So it's really nasty. Um, there's other theories about it um, in terms of glycine substitution. I'm not going to go into that. It's a little technical and not yet proven, but it's very, very dangerous for many things. And if you look at the percentage or 
amount of glyphosate sprayed on soy and corn in the U.S. There's about 38 charts I have of different diseases that rise in parallel. Thank you for listening to Live Healthy, Be Well. Please subscribe to the podcast using whatever app you listen to podcasts with. Or go to livehealthybewell.com to subscribe. This podcast will inform you about health dangers, corporate and government corruption, and ways we can protect ourselves, our families, and our planet. I interview scientists, experts, authors, whistleblowers, and many people who have not shared their information with the world until now. Please share the podcast with your friends. It will enlighten and may even save lives. Safe eating.